Welcome to The Sober Effect, a show that looks at the positives of sobriety, the dangers of alcohol and the many people who are affected by it. I'm Kate. And I'm Steph. The ripple effect of alcohol is far-reaching, and those are the stories you'll hear on The Sober Effect. So today we are on episode 21, and this topic is emotions, which we all have and tried to run away from. I would say the majority of us tried to run away from with alcohol. And our guest today is Duncan, and we just have a really good roundtable type conversation with him today about dealing with emotions now that we're sober, because a lot of people may think, I'm going to get sober and it's just going to get easier. And while there's some aspects of it that are easier, it's not easier at the end of the day. Like you still have to deal with them. You do. You still have to deal with them. I mean, it's a really tricky one because a lot of people drink because they don't want to face difficult things or difficult feelings. But the thing is, difficult feelings are essential and they're only difficult because your body and your mind know they're things you have to work through. And so when you think of it like that, ignoring them is going to be damaging, isn't it? It's like pushing mm-hmm. something away into a cupboard and walking past that cupboard every day and going, I know it's in there. It consumes your mind. It, it never goes away until you take it out, face it and, and deal with it. It will never go away. It, it's just not how the world works. And it can end up becoming really problematic. And I think alcohol makes these things bigger than they are. It makes them develop. It also creates additional problems. You know, if I'm trying to hide away from something, and I remember being so hungover, so embarrassed about something I'd done the night before, and instead of facing up to it and texting people and saying, sorry, I would just go out and get drunk again with mm-hmm. my friends and, and often cause an even worse scenario, you know, and, and that's a perfect example of how not dealing with things can end up in this kind of snowball effect. Like if you went out and got drunk again, like it just like reignites everything from the night before. And then it's not getting handled properly once again, because it's coming from such a more dramatic, I feel like it just enhances the drama of the emotion, you know? And for me, it would help push certain things down that I didn't want to deal with, but it turned into anxiety. And, you know, I talk about my anxiety a lot. And one of the things I learned about anxiety is like the panic attacks that you feel can sometimes be a result of suppressing emotions. Like you've suppressed so much that now your body is physically having like a reaction to it to like get your attention. Like there's things going on that you are not dealing with. Like, hello, we got to deal with this stuff. And so that was a lot. I mean, I mean, the alcohol didn't help anxiety at all. But the fact that I was using it to just not deal with things I didn't want to deal with, like I hate confrontation. It was a weird way of trying to just control myself and not have to ever deal with anything that was negative. And it just obviously, as as I talk about, it just kind of like blew up literally within my body. Like I felt horrible. It's so true. And I didn't really get that kind of anxiety, but I definitely created worse situations and something springs to mind. And I had a boyfriend. And I'd been with him for about a year and I just didn't want, I knew the relationship was over and I didn't have the guts to say, this is over. And I would just go out and get hammered 
And he would kind of go, you know, what are you doing? You're a mess. What's happening? And I was pushing him away. I was trying to make myself revolting. So he'd split up with me. And eventually I ended kissing some other guy and saying, I've actually, I've cheated on you now. You know, what a horrible and cowardly way of getting out of a relationship with a really nice person, all because you you couldn't face up to it. And actually then, of course, hating myself again, it just adding to that bag of self-loathing that I carried around. And I look back now and just think, what what a terrible way to deal with it. And for me, that's the perfect example, because alcohol makes you think, oh, screw it, whatever you want to do, just do it. What's the worst that can happen? Whatever it is, bring it on, I can deal with it. Actually, the truth is you probably can deal with it, but what's it doing to you? It's not just about survival, you know, it's about living a happy life, but that never factored into it. Running from your emotions is all all survival mode. You end up living in that Mm -hmm. mode of recovering, surviving, and and actually it's exhausting and draining. And you look at yourself in the mirror 10 years later and like, oh my God, look how old and unhappy I look. Not to mention the good emotions right? Because we also would drink to try to enhance like any celebration, any good news. I mean, I had a reason to drink every day because if it was a good day, that's a reason to drink, you know? Oh my God, it's nice outside. We should sit outside and drink all day and enjoy this weather. You're not enjoying anything. It's just like, it just fogs everything, right? There's just a layer of film that it just puts on top of an emotion. And so When you get sober, you know, people talk about pink cloud and all of that. I mean, it is a real thing because you don't realize how much you've dulled that joy, especially if you've been a drinker for all your adult life, like you and I, Kate, you don't even realize how much joy you were missing out on just for the sake of not having to feel the bad feelings. You've totally robbed yourself of experiencing true joy. Do you think that's what pink clouds, that whole thing is? It's just genuine feeling. I do. I believe really interesting. I think you're probably right, actually. And I haven't thought about that because you don't ever feel true sort of contentment. I think the word is because you can actually feel the happiness. It's not jaded. It's not like, well, enjoy this now because it's going to come crashing down in an hour. And I think a lot of people have a hard time accepting in the early months of sobriety that actually they can get used to feeling happy and proud of themselves because we're so used to it coming crashing down around us any minute we're so used to there being drama at least once a week because of our drinking that we've got that feeling that shadow of just wait something's going to happen because it's been happening for 52 weeks of the year but you know 20 years it will come and it's a really odd feeling when it doesn't happen again and again Mm -hmm. and you suddenly start thinking gosh is this actually my life do I deserve this Right. Um, And I know that's kind of off topic of emotions, but they're all rolled into how you feel about yourself and how you let yourself feel and how you're allowed to feel when you're not drugging yourself and altering the chemical balance of your brain. Yeah, it is all tied into emotion because we almost train our brains like if you're going to have a really good high, then you better expect a low because that's what alcohol trains us to do. So then we just start training ourselves or just that's the expectation with life. You know, if something really good happens, we don't fully enjoy it because we're like, okay, what's the catch? Like something's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. And I know I have lived my life like that for a very long time, always expecting the other shoe to fall. And now that I am nearing two years sober and realizing that no, life really is good. 
if you can like eliminate the negative and focus on the positive, there are so many things to be genuinely joyful and happy about that I never even gave it a thought before because I was too consumed with consumption, you know? Absolutely. I agree. And that's that's why we're kind of always waxing lyrical about how incredible mm-hmm. sobriety is because we didn't, either of us, expect it. We just thought we'd stop drinking and we'd be bored and we'd have yeah. no friends. You know, you that's, a slight, <laughs> that's a slight exaggeration. That's a slight exaggeration. But I didn't realize how much of the good stuff I was missing. And that has been the most incredible surprise. And obviously, that means that when you do deal with difficult situations, you're ready for it because you're well rested. You're in a good frame of mind. And even when things are really sad or really difficult, you think properly, you don't get that crazy racing brain where you're going, okay, uh, well, I don't know. And then what happened there? And I'm going to get drunk. And then I get confused about what really matters and what's going on. And I'm going to start crying because I know something's upsetting me. And then it all gets jumbled up. And it, and it's an actual puzzle to try and, and untangle all of that stuff before you can even start dealing with what it is you're dealing with. You get clarity when you're sober. You trust yourself to make a decision that you will still feel the next day. And that is huge. Yeah. I would say the number one, I don't know if this would be an emotion. I guess it's an emotion. Irritability. That was the theme of my drinking. And I didn't even realize until I got sober how I lived at this like state of irritated. Like everything irritated me. Things that shouldn't irritate me. I let them irritate me. Alcohol let that in. You know, that's like the major one that has really lifted and it's helped my marriage. It's helped my relationship with my parents. It's helped my relationship with me and my daughter. Like, I don't have that you are annoying the shit out of me right now attitude. That's what it did to me. I'm still irritated by a lot of stuff and I need to work on that because things do irritate me. Yeah. But that's part of the reason I drank was to sort of numb my brain. But now I've got to face up to it and go, what is irritating me? Why is it irritating me? do something about it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I can actually I can actually step back and go that you really overreacted to that. Are you hungry? Are you tired? Yeah. You know, is it your time of the month? What's going <laughs> on? Work it out because I've got all the pieces. And in sobriety you've got all those jigsaw pieces in front of you and they make the full picture. When you are drunk there's always pieces missing and you can never get to the crux of the matter. And I think that's how I see it if I were to visualize it. Let's dive into this conversation with Duncan. I started drinking 15 and started off just being about parties and being about fun and uh, socializing and it crept up and you know it started to soak everything in my life and it got to the stage where I was drinking a couple of bottles of wine most nights but smoking, I was eating badly. So it was the it was the whole kind of thing. And I think the idea of of dealing with emotions differently when you're sober, the, the big difference is I actually deal with them now. Now the whole part of why I was drinking was an attempt to avoid them. And you know, I, I genuinely thought I had this great strategy. You know, you take your emotions, you pour them into the empty wine bottle, and they're gone. But of course. They're not gone, are they? You're actually always pouring them into the same bottle until it gets a little bit full and then you uh, knock it over one evening and you've spilled emotions all over the kitchen floor and you're in a lot of trouble. Very good analogy. (laughs) I Um, love that analogy. Yeah. 
People always refer to, or a lot of time people refer to drinking as a truth serum. And I completely disagree with that. Me too. What do you think about that? It made me quite deceptive. It made me dishonest in the sense that a lot of drinkers, they try and minimise, they try and hide uh, the amount that they're drinking. They try and put on this good front. So it, it made me dishonest in that sense. But I think that's part of the real problem with attempting to use alcohol to deal with your emotions is it might distract you for a few glasses, but it doesn't remove the emotions. They don't go away. You're just kind of pushing them off to one side. And the first couple of glasses it might work for, but you get to the end of the bottle and they come back and they come back heavier and much larger. So in that sense, you know, it does make you confront the truth, but you're then, of course, not in a position to actually do anything about it. Yeah, I feel like it's almost you're working against yourself. You think you're helping yourself, but now you're making things a hundred times worse than before you started drinking. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of a guy called Kevin McDonald. And he's basically this shouty Irish uh, property guru. And the thing that he shouts at people most is get out of your own way. And I just think, you know, that is that is what I did for 20 years was I just got in my own way. I just continued to get in my own way. And maybe I had problems when I started drinking, but by the end of it, I was you know, the drinking was the problem. Yeah. I think a lot of the time I used to get emotional when I was drinking. And that that is definite. I used to get very emotional, whether it was upset or angry. But it was never, it didn't correlate to the real feelings. So if I'd gotten upset about something in the day, that might come out later on at night. But actually, I was thinking, I was blaming it on something else. Or I would go, you're really winding me up to my husband, you know, you've done this and that. And actually, it wasn't anything to do with that. But because I was drunk, I couldn't manage everything properly. I couldn't get all my thoughts in order. So all these emotions would spill out. And they all had a reason, but they weren't being shared in the right way. They were not being useful to me. And I think that's something that I've noticed is that I can understand myself better now that I'm sober because I don't have these confusing things racing through my body and my mind. Did you experience that kind of stuff as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think awareness is such a key point with that. that, You know, you can't get rid of your emotions. Uh, You know, as, as a bloke, I tried and a lot of men do. We try and ignore the fact that we have emotions. You can't get rid of them. You, you can managing them and maybe directing them in into the right place. But to do that, you need to be aware of them. And, you know, alcohol is a great way of making you aware of absolutely nothing. So anything that involves that kind of delicate interplay between thinking and emotions, you know, alcohol spoils it in the same way that that delicate interplay between your body and your health is completely ruined by uh, drinking. The, The same is true of the interplay of thoughts and emotions. Yeah. And something else that I also noticed is not just the negative emotions that were drowning out, but just the experience of joy. You know, like we think if we drink, it's going to make us happy. And it that is so short lived because the depressing part of alcohol, it is a depressant. It isn't going to. So just the joy that I felt when I got sober, you know, you talk pink cloud or whatever you want to call it. It's real. Like 
you finally get to experience joy. You think you're getting rid of the negative, but you're also getting rid of the positive emotions. Yeah. And I mean, you can dive right into the neurobiology of that. You, you know, the, the, the fact that alcohol produces certain chemicals in your brain that are associated with joy and happiness. Um, that sounds like it would be a good thing to do for your joy and happiness. But it creates this big spike and your brain doesn't like big spikes. It likes stability. It likes everything to be on the straight and narrow. So it creates uh, an opposite spike in the other direction of the chemicals that reduce joy and happiness. And eventually you're just, you're pounding it so much. You're interfering with the way the chemicals work so much that it just says like, I've had enough of this. I'm gonna downregulate everything. I'm gonna reduce the amount that we release these brain neurotransmitters that actually lead to joy and happiness and pleasure. So alcohol takes your HD plasma screen life and turns it into a black and white, tiny little cathode ray box. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. How long have you been sober for? I've been sober for about eight and a half years, something like that. And uh, Amazing. Yeah, it has been, to be honest with you. it's. Um, I have done more in the last eight and a half years than I did in the rest of my life put together. And I was one of the typical high-functioning people who, uh, you know, look from the outside, it all looked rosy in the garden. And funnily enough, I was very involved in local politics. So I do a lot of kind of socialising, pressing the flesh, stuff like that. And everybody who knew me through that kind of thing thought I was a very moderate drinker because I would only have one glass and, you know, I make it last they would go through the whole evening and I'd just have one. And then if, I'd go home and drink the rest. You know? So, uh, yeah, but the, the, I mean, the last eight and a half years have been fantastic. And particularly in terms of, you know, being able to go through the process of understanding who I actually am and getting to grips with, with you know, the emotions that I have and coming to terms with what's happened in my life. You know, that that's a long journey. That was a long piece of work. But um, actually, it's probably still going on, isn't it? But I, I'm in a much better place now than, uh, than I have been at other times in my life. From the early days of your sobriety, how have you changed and, and how have you dealt with your changing emotions? And can you just give us some examples of how it looks different for the people who are still drinking? maybe give them an idea of how that might change and what they can look forward to. You've kind of hit on a, a really interesting point. You know, you can you can stop drinking in an afternoon. You know, like if, if you're really motivated about it, you spend a few hours with me and I will, I will help you to stop drinking. That is not the complicated bit. You know, that is the simple bit. It's what you do after that really counts. And it is that that road. And that road is different for everybody, but it tends to involve some sort of way of processing previous emotions. You know, I didn't have a, a really tough childhood or anything like that. I didn't get on particularly well in school because uh, schools are places where they teach you to be an employee and I am unemployable. Uh, so, you know, it was tough. There was a lot of expectations, or at least I felt there was a lot of expectations on me when I was a kid. And I found it very difficult to uh, to meet up with those. So 
I guess over the last eight and a half years, I've done a lot of work thinking about my life and the story of my life. I'm, I mean, I'm a writer at heart, and uh, therefore most of the therapy the therapy that I've done has been done with a pen. And I think there is enormous value in reinterpreting your story and taking ownership of your story and realizing that, hey, look, you know, if I went back and did it over, I wouldn't do it the same way. But the stuff that happened to me, they're, they're not black marks burnt into my soul. They're, they're signposts that were pointing me in a particular direction. And if I hadn't have walked where I've walked, if I hadn't have done the stuff that I've done, I wouldn't be stood here today. And you know what? I'm quite enjoying talking to you. And generally, I quite like my life. So I am, you know, I am blessed that the road took me here. And I think you've got to acknowledge that we've done stuff that, you know, has hurt people. But um, you you can move to, to a better place. It's about understanding that story and understanding what's happened to you. That's the kind of the top down bit. I mean, like every other bugger who's ever got sober I, I'm going to recommend you do yoga I think something physical something bottom up so you've got to do something for your head but you've got to do something embodiment for your uh for yourself as well I am a huge fan of dancing I think that is as a great way of expressing emotions in a kind of very physical uh way it's also a good way of building community and I do like falling off my inline skates because I am a bit of a 90s throwback. Physical activity. Huge. My brain's going, imagine what he looks like down on the on, on the skates. The Oxford City Center. I think we all need like tools, right? Things to go to because now we're not using the alcohol and these emotions are still there. And so we need healthy ways to cope. So what are some of the healthy ways that you cope with emotions when things come up? Yeah, I think. There's been a, a big change in the way I talk, particularly to my wife. So I I think I used to do that classically male thing when she'd say, I have a problem. And I go, right, great. I'll get my toolbox and sort it out. And like try and do something very physical because that's like, ah, yes, you know, some action must need to be taken. And kind of like realizing that actually when she says she has a problem, she means she wants to talk about it and she probably wants a hug. And I've kind of embraced that. And uh, it's something that I do a lot more now. I, I do talk stuff through with my wife, with my family, with the people who I who I trust. I, I mean, I still do. I, I write an awful lot. And f- for me, that is a, that is a great way of processing my emotions as well. And I think it's important to you know, let people know that that is simply the way I work. And that is simply about who I am. And you don't necessarily have to copy what I do, but you should find a way to release those emotions. And that's why I'm so keen on the physical activity, because I think for some people, particularly for some men, they find it a lot easier to express those emotions physically uh, than they do to necessarily sit down and talk about. I love how you mentioned that, though, about your wife. I think that's a huge thing that men don't understand that what we do need. They just go into fix it mode, right? Like you go to them with a problem and then they're like, well, this is what you should do and you shouldn't be upset and you shouldn't let that bother you. And it's like, that's not what we need. We need you to be like, yeah, that is bullshit. And give me a hug and tell me I'm okay. So, yeah, I love that you've recognized that. That's just huge. I've got a question 
since you've become sober, because I'm really interested in, in the change. We're the same person. We carry around ourselves in the same bodies. Nothing changes the day we decide to stop drinking. When you look at us, but inside, I think the change is drastic. It's literally changed my whole life. It's changed my relationships, my work. I'm a writer. That's my job. I was really worried about creativity. You know, my friendships have changed. I've become so much healthier and, and happier. But I'm. it's almost like a puzzle. I'm, I'm a, in my 40s and I'm learning about who I am for the first time as an adult because I have drunk all my adult life. And the person who I am is not the person who I thought I was. And I'm finding that really interesting. So my question to you is, are there things that you found out about yourself that have surprised you since you've gone sober when it comes to your emotions and the things that matter to you and the things that you're interested in? Honestly, I think the world is such a fascinating and curious place that stuff surprises me, like almost on a daily basis. And I agree with you that there is such a, a massive change, but I think it allows me to fundamentally express who I am better. And it allowed me to do more of the work required to find who I am. And analogy I always think of when, when we talk about stuff like this is, I don't know if you know Anton Chekhov. Did you wrote a play called The Seagull? Probably more famous for The Cherry Orchard. But I was in The Seagull when I was at university. And uh, yeah, I played this character who was a delusional man boy. And he he thought he was a great writer, but actually he was just a deluded little kid. So I was basically typecast. And, you know, you finish the play and you forget all of the words, don't you? But there's this one line where he kept going on about having difficulty finding his voice. And it really stuck with me. It really resonated. And it kind of like dominated the first 10 years of my life as a writer when I was when I was trying to write. And I'd spent all of this time doing like these exercises that you get in writing school and, you know, all of these kind of like introspective stuff. And I, I never, ever found my voice doing that. The way I found my voice was actually by sitting down and writing stuff. And then all of a sudden, there it was. It was screaming out at me, a theologically dubious zombie film I wrote one weekend. And I, I think that's what life is about. You find yourself by living it. You find yourself by going out and serving other people and working out what makes you happy, working out what works for you. And that is so much easier when you're not getting in your own way, when you're not drinking all of that alcohol, because you have the time to do it. You have the energy to do it. You have the focus to do it. You have the concentration to do it. You have the creativity to do it. What's the line from the seagull then? Um, I have difficulty finding my voice. That's brilliant, actually. That yeah. says so much, doesn't it? I mean, that's kind of, that's my whole drinking career could be yep. put under that line and it, it is completely relevant. Yeah. Um, and I found lots of other people's voices. And that's kind of the point I think I was making is that it's very hard to really pinpoint what's you and what's not. Um, and it's lots of other tiny emotions. And of course, alcohol's a drug. Let's not pretend it isn't. And that was my point about it being a truth serum is that, yes, it might make you talk about things, but actually it's not all honest. It's not actually a realistic depiction of what you're really thinking because it gets jumbled and it gets, it's up and down. It's like a roller coaster. And depending on when you speak to someone, at which point in the night and how much they've drunk and what's gone on that day and the time of the month for some women or what they've eaten, 
you're going to get a completely different response to the same question. So it's not reliable. I was never reliable when I was drinking, you know, and and I find that really scary now. I, I have become so much more of a reliable person with my friends and, and most importantly with myself. And when I'm sad now, I know I'm sad for a reason, not just because I'm having a massive come down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a friend of mine, RJ, he always talks about becoming friends with himself after he stopped drinking. And I think that's part of it. You, you get to know yourself better in the way you know your friends. But it's also that kind of that whole piece about compassion and understanding and, you know, being able to say, well, look, you know, I'm sad. Of course I'm sad. The following things happened that made me feel sad that's okay that's just what it is i don't have to run off and try and hide from that feeling and uh you know dull it or dampen it or yeah. numb it i can just be aware of it i can just accept it for what it is and know that it's not going to last forever yeah i think it's the difference this is something that like stood out and it's kind of a little mind trick that i've done since getting sober you know, I used to be like, I'm sad or whatever. And now I changed the I am to I feel because yeah. we attach to an identity so quickly. So if we say I am sad, we instantly just feel like then that's just who we are. But if you can switch it to I feel sad, we know that feelings come and go. And so it's easier to just like let it in, sort it out, analyze it. And then do what you need to do if it's a physical activity, if it's take a nap or whatever. It's like you learn to when you're sober, you learn how to take care of yourself because when you're a drinker, at least for me, when I was a drinker, I was all about punishing myself that that was the thing, you know, like, well, yeah, you did this to yourself. You know, you you have anxiety today because you drank too much last night or you, you know, and so then it's not a nurture. It doesn't come from a place of nurturing. It comes from a place of like scolding. So I think that's been like a huge shift for me. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're absolutely right about that. It's, it's massive. I think I meet so many people who, when you really strip it right back, they drink because they don't believe they deserve anything better. They don't believe that, that they should have a good life. They, you know, they've spent their whole life being told that they're bad. So of course they treat themselves badly. And when you kind of feel all of that back and, and help people to realize that uh, they do genuinely deserve a good life and that they have everything inside them to live that good life. I mean, that transformation Seeing that in somebody else is, you know, that's wonderful. It's it's the greatest gift. It's it's a, a particularly good reason to get out of bed. And I think one of the things we need to be aware of is is how we use language. It, it is so powerful. And if you telling children that they are naughty, they believe that they are naughty, and that is something that is intrinsic in them, and that they cannot change. Whereas if you say to them that what they did was naughty, they, they, it gives them the possibility to believe that um, they can behave in another way. Back in the day, I honestly thought the way to reduce the harm of alcohol in the world was to help people stop drinking. But increasingly, I'm realizing that the, the harm that happens from alcohol is actually the moderate and moderate to severe drinkers, because there are so many of them. So if we can get into them, deliver brief interventions, help them to think about ways to reduce their drinking, then, you know, we can massively reduce the harm that alcohol causes and the profits of the alcohol industry. Yes. Yes, that's another conversation. Yeah. I've got a lot to say about that. But I bet question, you have. Yeah. 
One question I have then. So if we if we have listeners who are drinking and they know that they're drinking because they don't want to deal with emotions that are big. And, you know, we all know that emotions are good for you. They're there for a reason. There are self-protection kind of service to ourselves. They tell us to be jealous or to be worried or to run or to be happy. Now they're necessary, but some of these can become so overwhelming for people. And that is why they drink. And they are terrified to stop drinking because they don't want to deal with those emotions. So what advice would you give someone in that situation? My experience certainly was, I thought these problems were huge. I thought uh, you know, they were massive. And actually, once I got sober, and once I looked at them, I realized that they were a lot smaller than I thought. It's sort of like you've got a mouse, and the mouse is stood in front of a torch, and the torch is beaming the shadow of the mouse onto the wall. So you think the mouse is huge, but actually, it's just a mouse. It's actually quite small. It's actually much easier to deal with than you think. And once you once you start getting out of your own way, once you start to get that those benefits of being sober, the energy and the concentration and the focus, you, you will be able to deal with those problems so much easier. I mean, he's right, isn't he, Seth? everything gets easier when you're sober it it's kind of you start believing in yourself and I know we harp on about this but it's true because I'm not used to being able to rely on my opinions and decisions I'm very forthright with what I believe and and usually I'm right but actually knowing where you want to go when someone says right you've got a big choice in your life to make and knowing exactly what you want to do and then being able to check off a list and go is this the right thing to do? Yes, I'm completely compass mentis. I know what I'm doing. This is the right thing. I'm going to be brave enough to go for it and back myself up. That's a huge thing. Has anything in your life in the past two years happened, something big that you have had to make a decision like that that you don't think you would have done when you were oh, drinking? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the most recent one is the decision to homeschool my daughter which there was a lot of emotion wrapped up in that, right? I mean, my daughter was having issues at school, like things that were really bothering her and interfering with her education. And I know even just because of the lockdowns and having her home and basically homeschooling her, during that time, I was drinking and I was drinking heavily and I didn't want her home with me. You know, and when three o'clock hit and Zoom calls were done for the day, I'm like, get out of my hair. This is my time now. I've had to deal with this all day. I didn't sign up to be your teacher. I didn't sign up for this. Like, this was stressful. Like, I deserve a drink. Like, the whole mommy wine culture, all of that. Wrap it up, tie it up with a bow. That was what we did. And that's how I functioned and how I thought I needed to get through. Now, fast forward, she's telling me all this. I instantly think, oh my gosh, like lockdowns again. Like that's that was my experience with her being home. There was a lot of emotion there, right? There was a lot of dealing with, you know, her not wanting to do work, me being responsible for it. But I have a clearer mind and I actually can remove emotion in decisions now where before I would fuel it with alcohol when I'm trying to make a decision, which is a depressant. So you're going to just constantly keep thinking of the negative things that could happen, like what could go wrong. And I'm the queen of that anyway. So alcohol really loved to just add to that. Like it just gave me some more creative, you know, negative projections. 
So now it's just, yeah, I, we've made a the very unemotional, like there was emotion involved, obviously, because of what my daughter was going through. But for me, it wasn't so much about, well, what is the right thing? What would society say? Like, what would people think? Because those are the things that alcohol does to me, right? Would be like, well, what's everyone going to say? They're going to think like, why are you doing that? That's weird. Da, 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 da. That was gone because I don't have that negativity in my head anymore. Now it's like, what's right for you? What's right for your daughter? What's right for your family? And it has been the absolute best decision I have ever made. I'm not irritable. I don't feel the need for a drink at the end of the day. It's actually our pace. We get to decide. And so there's a lot of control. You are homeschooling. Just for the people who don't know this, you are homeschooling homeschooling her now. I'm homeschooling a 15-year-old. Yes. (laughs) How's that going? It's great. It's great. Actually, that age I think is perfect. She's already learned so much already. Now it's just basically learning how, I mean, she can do it all herself. She's 15, you know, she's, she's maturing and it's great because it's great to learn basically her own emotions and what works for her. And like, I wish someone would have done that for me at 15 instead of just rigid on what the school's teaching. So it's been good. It's been really good. Did you used to drop her at school? I don't know what time school starts there. My kids start Mm -hmm. at Mm 8.30. But did you drop her and then go home and go back to bed? Oh yeah. What was it like when you were a drinker? Because I'm sure that will factor into it. Like parents who are drinking every night Mm -hmm. and then they recover until 12, they're not going to want to homeschool. Did you used to do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was my excuse to be able to stay up late and drink. Well, all I really have to do is just get her out the door. I'll come home and go back to bed. Because she rode the bus when she was really little. So I didn't even have to take her. I just had to get her, literally physically get her out the front door. The bus would pick her up at the end of our driveway. (laughs) Like there wasn't just slouch around. It's so many enabling ways to drink a lot. It's just unbelievable. People talking about alcoholics and functioning alcoholics and all this stuff. There are so many people who just drink a bottle of wine a night. And actually, that's three large glasses, really. And they get on with the day. And what they don't realize is what that is taking from them. And when it comes to Mm -hmm. emotions, it's not only making bad emotions worse. It's stealing the happy emotions. And not only the emotions, it's stealing your memories. Because not Mm -hmm. only are you not creating happy memories with your friends and your family, because you're drunk. So those those things don't happen because you're drunk and you're embarrassed and you're creating a drama. Yeah. But when nice things do happen, you're kind of not with it. You don't remember certain things. There's so many reasons not to drink. And I just, they keep coming in, don't they, Steph? Yep. It's, yep. it's just so many. It makes me so sad. The things yeah. I have lost, you know, and I feel a bit like if there was a book and it was kind of my life and the ups and downs, the ups and downs of my emotions would be drastic. They would be very high, very low, struggle to get out of that cape back in that really dark pit. Oh, look, she's mm-hmm. coming out and it made me feel strong. And then I'd go and get drunk and batter myself a bit more and then prove that I was strong enough to get out. That's not living. That's not sitting back and watching the world go That's by. That's surviving. That's surviving. And my book was just full of mess and scramble. You know, now it's a proper story and things happen. I remember them. They have a place. They lead on to other things. And it just feels like everything makes sense now. And it's a story I'll be proud of looking back on. Yeah. How do you deal with emotions now? I scream and shout whatever I feel. Now, I mean, really, that's not far off the truth. I am a very... My mum used to say I had verbal diarrhea. She said, you just can't stop speaking. 
just try and hold it in, Kate, you know, just you don't have to say everything that pops into your mind. And I'm like, well, I do. Otherwise, it's in my mind. And then yeah. it's taking over my brain. If I say it, it's out there and I can move on. And she was like, not everyone wants to hear it. And I'm like, I get that. So I'm, I try, but I'm a very open book. And if I'm sad, I'll say I'm really sad. And if I'm happy, I'll laugh and say this is brilliant I'm very childlike in that way in Mm -hmm. that I I, I'm not ashamed to express my emotions whatever they are if I'm scared Mm -hmm. if I'm angry whatever I just think it's better to be honest about these things and people know where they stand when you're an open book you know when when you've kind of got this face like you're thinking god are they you know what, what mood are they in you can't tell that's quite scary for me, being around mm-hmm. people who are like that, I'd much rather be able to see them and go, oh, they need a hug or oh, they're, they're in a funny mood or, you know, I just I think it's healthier. And and I've always been like that. But that's dangerous when you're drunk because my, my emotions weren't real. They were fueled by alcohol. But I was loud and verbal about them. And, and that isn't nice. What about you? Um, I cry a lot more than I ever have. I've always been someone who wouldn't allow myself to cry. So as crazy as that sounds, like alcohol actually helped me keep that at bay. Like you talk, you know, I've said, I mean, there are people who actually when they drink, it makes them cry. Like it just did something different for me, but I do allow myself to cry. Sometimes the crying comes out of nowhere. Like I won't understand it. And I truly believe it's old stuff that I never dealt with still Mm -hmm. coming out. And I mean, there'll be times where I just, I wake up and I feel really sad and I can't put my finger on it. And I will then in a sort of way, make myself cry. Like, because you know, when you just feel like you've got to let it out. Like I used to fight that for so many years because I thought it made me stronger to not let that out. And I am learning now how good it feels I still don't like to cry in front of people. I don't think anybody does, but I. No, and when you look at your face yeah. when you cry, it's not. And I'm not talking about your face, Steph. I'm anybody. Saying, look at but, one's face. <laughs> not the most flattering, is it? Mine definitely cry. not. I think that's often why we cover our faces because it's like, oh God, this is bad enough. Do not look yeah. at me. So, I mean, I will just let myself you know, shut myself in a room and let myself ugly cry. And even sometimes too, working out, like moving my body physically, if I have a heavy emotion, that will work up a cry out of nowhere. Like Mm -hmm. I remember doing one time I was lifting some really heavy weights and I got to my last two reps and I, it's the waterworks. I just started crying. Like it just, it's like it worked something out. And it was the most beautiful thing, though, at the same time, because that release, it just feels so good. So for me, that's kind of how I deal with it now. Whatever needs to happen, whatever my body is like physically showing me, I don't fight it anymore. I let it happen because, damn, I do not ever want to have those anxiety attacks again. And it's like to keep it at bay and to just deal with it. And talking is is so important. I mean, we talk on WhatsApp almost every day, don't Mm -hmm. we? And I've got several friends, I know you have as well, who I'm in regular contact. And it's just to and fro chat, checking in on each other. If you've got an issue, you'll say something and they're there for you. And For me, that's really important. And actually, I feel better about saying I've got something on my mind, whereas before I think don't bother them. Right. They're already dealing with the fact they had to scrape you off the curb last night or, you know, they've had to pay your bill because you left without your wallet and, you know, all this stuff. So you're kind of thinking I don't want to burden them because they already have to deal with me. 
but I don't feel that way anymore. I think I'm there for them and, and they're there for mm-hmm. me and that's great. So I think that's another positive is you do feel like you can share your thoughts with other people and you don't feel guilty about that. I don't feel like I'm burdening anyone, you know. It's what a relationship should be like, what a friendship should be like. And I think whether that's with a therapist, a friend, a partner, you know, a parent, whoever, having someone to talk your emotions through is so important because people say one small thing and you're like, do you know what? That makes so much sense. That's why Instagram is so good because people will make comments and you'll think, ah, that's made things a lot clearer. You're absolutely right. And even that, strangers making a comment on a post, it can completely change the way you think about things. Yeah. Right. I think our time's up, Steph. I think so. I will see you for episode 22. Have a good one. You too. Cheers, Steph. Bye, Kate. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, we're just two women from opposite sides of the pond wanting to bring awareness around the negative effects of alcohol. We are not licensed therapists or doctors. If alcohol is causing any mental or physical health issues, please seek professional help. Please be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss future episodes. If you think our podcast could help someone you know, please be sure to share it. Also, leaving a five-star review will help The Sober Effect reach more people like you. The music for this show was produced and recorded by Pearl and Thumbelina Jim of the wonderful Charm Jar Music. More information can be found in our show notes.